Let's pray. Holy God and gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ Jesus and sending the Holy Spirit to be with us. Guide us all according to your word and to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's face it, being a follower of Jesus Christ is not easy. It is not easy for a number of things because there are simply troubles in the world. There are difficulties that we face. And sometimes we feel kind of alone, kind of abandoned, so to speak. And we cry out, are you still there? Are you there, Jesus? I don't feel up to this today. Now, if you ever felt like that or feel like that today, you're in good company. Just like the disciples, when Jesus was crucified, they were in doubt and fear. They thought he had gone forever. But then he was resurrected, and they still didn't know exactly what to make of that. And he stayed with them. He ate with them. He was with them for 40 days. But then he ascended. And they, I'm sure, were thinking, okay, now what? Now what do we do? I still don't feel up to the task. In addition, they were being pulled in two different directions. One was to follow Jesus, which was not an easy path. It is a path that was full of danger, and we found out how full of danger it was and how they died. And, but the other path was to follow the world, to be like the world and the culture. And that was the safe bet. And that was the choice in front of them each and every day. And I bet you can relate to something like that. That's the choice in front of us. And we are torn with our doubt, our fear, our feeling alone, our lack of ability of following Jesus or following the easy way and the way of the world. But Jesus reminded his disciples before he went away, and thus he reminds us. He said this, John chapter 14, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. So let it be loud and clear this morning. He has not forsaken you, you are not left alone. Rather, those who believe in Jesus have the Holy Spirit who dwells with you and is in you. It is the power of the Holy Spirit who guides us, who indwells in us, who keeps us following the path of Jesus Christ, growing in greater love and knowledge of who He is. And because you, you, you have been chosen out of the world to follow Jesus and to do His ministry, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. God, Christ Jesus, 
has chosen you out of the world and you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, why is that? Let's talk about that a little bit before we actually get into the context of our text. He said this, John chapter 15, and I'm just going to read a few verses. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus has been telling his disciples that because they are following him, because they are called out of the world, the world will not only not dislike them, it will hate them. Jesus apparently never read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, right? This is not the power of positive thinking. This is a message very, very different than that. And none of us, I don't think so, I've talked to all of you, raise your hand if you like being hated, right? None of us like being hated. As a matter of fact, we will go to great lengths to avoid being hated, correct? But to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, is to understand that you will be hated and even persecuted by the world. It could be argued that if you have not experienced any hatred from the world because you are a Christian, you might be just like the world. They can't distinguish you from the world. It could be argued that perhaps if you've never experienced any animosity towards you because you're a Christian, uh, that you have put your light under a bushel basket and not let the light of Christ shine. By the way, I'm not advocating, nor did Jesus ever advocate stirring up hatred, stirring up evil. Hardly. Far from it. We aren't to stir up hate. Rather, it's simply this. It's about living your faith without compromise. If you want to get one message out of that, out of this today, it is this, to be able to live your life without compromise. For being willing to stand up and speak the truth of Jesus. If you do that, the world will hate you. There's a pastor, Tom Brock, from Minnesota, and he was originally invited to, uh, to, he gave an invocation for the Minnesota Senate. And if you've taken a look at the politics in Minnesota, they've really gone downhill greatly. But he told the person, look, I'm going to speak in the, and pray in the name of Jesus at the end. And the person said, well, it's not really inclusive, but I won't stop you. So he prayed in the name of Jesus, and at the end, several legislators came up and really berated him for using the name of Jesus. This shouldn't surprise us. See, living your faith without compromise and speaking the truth of Jesus will cause division. This happened to the disciples in Acts. It says this, Acts chapter 5, verse 28. 
We, and they were brought, they were preaching Jesus in the public square, and they were brought before the high priest and the council. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you are and have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter answered, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And then later on, verse 40, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left their presence of the council, and get this, listen to this, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. See, to live a faith without compromise, to be able to speak the name of Jesus, will ruffle feathers. I prayed at the town council uh, back in March, February, March, February, and I used the name of Jesus, and it ruffled a few feathers. Now, to be able to stand in your faith without compromise is very difficult in certain public squares in this world. If you are a Christian and you are in the public school system right now, that's a really tough place to be. If you are in a corporate, large corporate business world, and I was for many years, that's a tough place to be a Christian. So to be a Christian in a public square says you have to have faith. But it's not just on your own, right? Because on my own, I don't have the courage. I need the power of the Holy Spirit working in me to do anything that I do for the ministry, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus reminded the disciples, he says, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember what I have told you. So let's remember and be strengthened by what Jesus told the disciples and thus told us, that they are first guided by the Holy Spirit. He says this in our reading starting verse 7 from chapter 16. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So when Jesus was talking about going away, one, it was his death, then the resurrection, and the ascension. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Well, why is that? Well, he was preparing a place for them, right? He would enable them to do greater works, imparting rich knowledge to them, and in reality, drawing them closer to himself through the Spirit. That sounds pretty advantageous, doesn't it? Tough word. It was good for him. Now, Jesus said, that he would send a helper. We need to understand this word, helper. The actual word is paraclete. We get helper because it comes from the King James Version, translated paraclete into helper. Now, helper, helper, comforter, counselor, you've heard all these words for the Holy Spirit, right? And mostly in our day and age, we think about these words as emotional comfort, don't we? 
the Holy Spirit is there to comfort us in down times when we are discouraged to be lifted up. And indeed, that is part of the role of the Holy Spirit. But that's not the full role, and that's not the primary role of the Holy Spirit. See, in our modern age, we take the Holy Spirit to be emotional therapy almost. But paraclete means something else. It means this. It is one who is called alongside. And in Greek literature of the time, it meant a legal advocate who is called alongside you to be with you, to defend you. Now, when we talk about lawyers, lawyers are also called counselors, right? So you hear that. So that's really where this name counselor comes in. Not as some therapist, but as a legal advocate working on your defense. Now, there are two types of lawyers, aren't there, in our system? One is the defense attorney, and the other is who? The prosecutor, right? Now, the Holy Spirit works in both ways. The Holy Spirit will be there to defend, but the Holy Spirit, in the context that Jesus is talking about, is a prosecutor who convicts. So this is a primary role of the Holy Spirit, one who convicts. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Convict. Conviction. Right? It's a powerful word, isn't it? And sometimes it's really good. We are convicted in a positive sense to do things that we know we should be doing. To set certain goals in our life. Just even a little bit like the Holy Spirit go, I'd talk to the pharmacist. Okay. That's a conviction, right? But on the other side, conviction also says you are guilty of something. You haven't lived up to a certain level. You haven't done things or you have done things that you should or shouldn't be doing, right? There's the conviction that way. The way Jesus is using conviction here, it is to reprove, rebuke, to put to shame. So the primary of the role of the Holy Spirit that Jesus talks about here is to actively prosecute the world and convict them to repentance. Now, this is okay in an intellectual sense, isn't it? Especially if other people are the ones being convicted. Right? All those people out there, and we, we look at the news, and we read the paper, and all of that. We're like, oh, yes, convict them, convict them, convict them. But when it starts to turn to us, a little uncomfortable, right? I mean, there's, there's a story of an old southern lady and a rural community, and she was in a church, and, and, her, and her pastor was just preaching really strong. 
And he was preaching about all the different sins. And he was doing from gambling to murder and everything in between. And this little old lady in this pew was going, oh, yes, yes, praise the Lord. Amen, amen. And then the pastor started to talk about chewing tobacco. And she said, you stop preaching, now you're meddling. Right? We don't like it when the conviction turns towards us, do we? Oswald Chambers, he said this, Conviction of sin is one of the rarest things that ever strikes a man. It is the threshold of an understanding of God. Jesus Christ said that when the Holy Spirit came, he would convict of sin. And when the Holy Spirit rouses the conscience and brings him into the presence of God, it is not his relationship with men that bothers him, but his relationship with God. You see, the Holy Spirit's work isn't just to convict you of immorality. It's actually to have you understand who God is and your relationship with Him. And thus, the Holy Spirit will convict, rebuke, put the world to shame regarding three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Let's take a look at this first one. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And then going on, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because of the ruler of this world is judged. Now the first, and I would say the greatest of these, is unbelief. But it isn't unbelief just in God, is it? It's unbelief in who? In Jesus. The greatest sin here is unbelief in Jesus. If you reject Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is no salvation for you. You see, all of you know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you know John 3.18? It says whoever believes in him is not condemned. Good news, right? But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. When you reject Jesus as Lord and Savior, when you reject his death and resurrection, you reject the idea of sin, you fully reject the gospel. And when you reject the gospel, there is no salvation. So listen, the Holy Spirit's first and primary work is to point people to the need of Jesus. The Holy Spirit uh, yeah, the Holy Spirit convicts a person of their unbelief and points them to the need of Jesus. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. Peter's preaching. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to them and the rest of the apostles, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
when the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin and your need for Jesus, you know that you're bankrupt before God. That all of the things that you have done, even if you think they're good, are worthless apart from Christ Jesus. And that there's only salvation in Him and Him alone. That's the conviction that the Holy Spirit does in a person. How many of you know Tony Campolo? Is it Campolo or Campolo? Yes. All right, Campolo. We're going with that. So uh, he wrote about this, actually a, a very deeply and moving incident at a Christian junior high camp where he served. One of the campers was a boy, and he had spastic paralysis. So moving was difficult, and speaking was very difficult. And you know how loving junior high students are, right? Well, of course they made fun of him, didn't they? And they would mimic his speech, and they just ridiculed him. And one night, they asked him to give the devotion for the camp, not as an honor, but as another chance to ridicule him. And this boy, with great difficulty, stood up. And with great difficulty, he stammered out, I love Jesus. And Jesus loves me. And the rest of the junior high students were cut to the heart. And they cried. And they repented. And there was a movement of the Holy Spirit in which they received Jesus Christ. There was a mini revival that broke out at that campground because of the power of the Holy Spirit working through the person, that young boy. And Tony Campalo talks about to this day when he still has breakfast with folks, there are still people who are deeply in the faith and even in ministry because of what happened that day. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, was it a full great gospel message? It wasn't, was it? It was very short. So. It does not depend on how powerful of a speaker you are, but that you do speak, and the Holy Spirit speaks through you. So the Holy Spirit convicts of unbelief, but He also convicts regarding righteousness and that the ruler of this, of this world is judged. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And when we are convicted, we know that we are not righteous. That all those works that we've done, high and mighty things, are worthless. And if you have trouble with that, just go back and read Ecclesiastes. But he also convicts and shows people that Satan, the ruler of this world, is already judged. How many of you knew that there was a second SatanCon in Boston 
April 28th through the 30th. So large convention of Satanists, and they ripped up the Bible, right? They didn't rip up the Koran, but they ripped up a Bible. So there are people that God rescues from Satanism. I'm going to give you an account of one person, Danny McGilly. Uh, Illini, not sure how to pronounce his name, uh, from England. By the time he was 15, bright student, bright guy, by the time he was 15, he was a committed atheist. He was heavily involved with the occult, with Satanism, and communism. How's that for a combination? It came because of his parents who were both atheists and communists. But he became a Satanist. And he would actually go around and argue with people. He would carry what they call the Satanist Bible. There actually is a Satanist Bible. It is not like our Bible by any means. It was written in 1969. And it was more philosophical arguments against Christianity and uh, against even the supernatural. But it is the Bible that Satanists or Satan worshipers use. So he would go around, this young kid, 15, and he would argue with all of these Christians. And at one point, he came across a group of Christians, and he had a conversation with a man, and nothing happened. But the, the guy said, well, would you be willing to meet with, uh, with me for coffee? The guy said, and David said, sure. Or Danny, sorry. Danny said, sure. So he met with the guy. And he met with a guy and also another fellow who used to practice black magic. And Danny was intrigued, but he wasn't moved. But the guy said, well, why don't you come to our church? Have a time of fellowship with us. So Danny agreed. And uh, this is in his own words now. I used to regularly read my satanic Bible and rub it in the faces of Christians around me. On the Sunday morning, I attended the church, sitting in the back, looking as cold as possible in time until the end of fellowship time they had. I then spent about three hours at the church debating various members and hearing some, quite frankly, amazing testimonies. Again, I left without a thing being changed. In the coming days, I decided to research the historicity of Jesus and the disciples the science and astronomy in the Bible, and other historical claims the Bible made. I was wrestling in my mind for the coming week about all that I believed and the apparent accuracy I perceived in the Bible. On the Thursday, a group of atheists and I were having an argument with a group of Christians. I was being a lot quieter than usual, and somebody asked me, Why? Why are you being so quiet? I can just remember turning to my atheist friend and saying, I think they're right. Followed by a look of shock and silence all around. I then prayed in my head and accepted Christ as my personal Savior. I thank God for his patience with me and willingness to accept me after all the terrible things I had done. God rescued him from the grips of Satan. Now, was it because of that one man that he met, his powerful witness? Wasn't that, was it? Was it 
that the preacher gave such a wonderful sermon. Wasn't that, was it? It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through people that brings them to faith, that brings them to the need of Christ Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who brings those who are dead to life. So listen, he went from being dead to in sin and to Satan to life and life everlasting in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote about this in 1 Thessalonians. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You see, the gospel really is the power of God. Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. Listen, you have not been left alone. You have not been forsaken for the work of the ministry that Christ has called you to. You have the Holy Spirit who dwells with you and is in you forever. And how could you ever be afraid with that? With the Holy Spirit who is with you. And is the Holy Spirit not how wonderful and how eloquent you are? You could be like that boy who stammered, I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. And it could be that moment that the Holy Spirit works in another person or even a group of people. You see, because you have been chosen out of the world to follow Jesus and do his ministry, you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You are guided by God himself. Amen? So, for the next three weeks, we're still going to work about, talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and who He is. But what's your call in all of this? I mean, you, it's not only to hear the Word, right? But it's now to apply the Word. So how do you apply this particular Word? Well, the first thing is acknowledge that God, the Holy Spirit, dwells with you and is in you. Just take, take a moment on that. You're not alone. Say yes in being his instruments in the world. And it could be as simply as turning around and talking to the pharmacist. Right? That's being an instrument of the Holy Spirit. To learn to say yes when the Holy Spirit goes like that. Or sometimes with me, it's a two-by-four. But, you know, get my attention. And then pray this. Pray to be, pray and ask to be sanctified, equipped, and empowered for the work ahead of you. And everyone says, Amen. Amen.